Thank you, Eric, and thanks, everyone, for joining us this morning as we worship together, both here in the sanctuary and online. It's good to be physically present with one another, so thank you for the honor of your presence. We're speaking this morning about a matter that is, in my opinion, very important for us as a church and particularly also for us as a culture. It's the issue of kindness, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit and our ongoing consideration of the fruit of the Spirit. And so please join me. We'll pray together and then see what God has to say to us. Father, thank you that we can gather within these walls. That is indeed uh, a manifestation of your kindness, the fellowship, the, the, the goodness of being together, the, the space and shelter that we enjoy. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and not only enable us to receive what you might have to say, but also to respond in order that we collectively, as your people, would be characterized by kindness. That's our desire. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, in, the, in the culture that we have today, there's a 24-7 news cycle, but some of us are still old enough that we actually turn the news on on TV and watch for a half hour in the evening, and uh, that becomes how we learn what's going on in the world. And if you were to do that... I just will let you know that almost always at the end of the half hour, there's a heartwarming story of some sort about someone who did something kind. I'll also confess to you that when I'm home alone, I turn it off and skip that last story because I don't really care. I want to know all the bad news. The good news is for somebody else. My wife, on the other hand, uh, loves those moments If she had her way, she would probably ignore the first 27 minutes of the news and only watch the end. Regardless, I've collected uh, three of those stories for you this morning because I want to see what it does to your own heart. Listen to this. Here's one man's story. Leaving a store, I returned to my car only to find that I'd locked my keys and cell phone inside. A teenager riding his bike saw me kicking the tires and swearing... So he said, what's wrong? And I explained my situation. And then I said, but even if I could call my wife, uh, she can't bring me her car key because we only have one car. So he hands me his cell phone and he says, call your wife and tell her that I'm riding my bike over to get her key. This is just a guy riding by. That's a seven mile round trip, I said. Don't worry about it. An hour later, he returned with the key. I offered him money. He refused. Let's just say I needed a little more exercise. And then like a cowboy in the movies, he rode off into the sunset. (laughs) Second story. I saw a dress in a consignment shop that I knew my granddaughter would love, but money was tight and I couldn't afford it at the time, so I asked the store owner if she would hold it for me. The person in line behind me said, may I buy the dress for you? Thank you, but I can't accept such a gracious gift, I said. And then she told me why it was important for her to help. She said, I'd been, I've been homeless for three years, just now getting back on my feet, and had it not been for the kindness of strangers, I would be dead. And so having received kindness, it's only appropriate that I give kindness back. And then she buys the dress for this woman. And then a policeman stops a college student who's speeding, and he, and he says, you're speeding. And the college student says, of course I'm speeding. Uh, I'm late for a presentation in class. Yeah, and then the policeman says, why are you late? And 
The student says, I'm late because it was required that we wear a tie for the presentation, and I don't own a tie, so I stopped at another, uh, a friend's house to pick up a tie. He says, is that why you're late? He says, you don't even have a tie on. He says, I'm late because I spent too much time trying to tie the tie, and I couldn't figure it out, so I'm just going anyway. The policeman says, get out of the car. He gets out of the car. He says, hand me your tie. He hands the policeman the tie. The policeman puts it around the student's neck, ties the tie, sends him on his way, right? Kindness, kindness, kindness. Now, let me just ask a question. Why is it that we love these stories? Why do they make TV ratings go up for the news? Why does ABC spend three precious minutes when they could be talking about wars among our politicians or more fires or more droughts? Why does this work? Here's why. In Ecclesiastes 3, we're told this, God has placed an eternity in the hearts of every person. So in other words, all of us long for uh, knowing God, and we delight when we see the character of God displayed. So when we see real kindness, it stands out in contrast to the prevailing norms of our world. And yet, though uh, kindness is not common, it resonates as truer and deeper and the way the world ought to be. And so we like it. Our calling as image bearers, that's us as humans, is a call to kindness. Now, why do we know that? Here's why. Because God is kind. It says in Romans 2, God's kindness is poured out on all of humanity, and God's kindness is intended to create in us a posture of movement away from the prevailing norms of the world toward the character of God, who is kindness, justice, mercy, generosity, hope, healing, joy, all of that. So kindness is intended to move us, Romans 2. And in what ways is God kind to you this morning? Well, first you're breathing. That's kind. And you have clean water and you have access to food, and, you, and most of you have a family uh, that you love. And is it a broken world? Yes. And is there suffering in the world? Yes. And is there injustice in the world? Yes. And the world is saturated with beauty and kindness and, 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 and the mercy of God. So God is kind. And in fact, Isaiah 54 says this, hey, the mountains could be removed. The hills may shake into nothingness, but God's kindness will never go away. Why? Because God's character is kindness. So in our days that we live on this earth, we will see the kindness of God. It'll be displayed over and over and over again. And for this reason, in my opinion, this is perhaps uh, the most important sermon of the summer. It may not be for you, but it is for me, if not the whole year. Why? Because uh, somehow, for reasons I will address we have drifted away from looking at kindness as a validation of a person's faith. Remember what, what Eric read? By your fruit, you'll know. Like the fruit is a display of the root. And if you're displaying the character of God, you will display kindness. And yet, we live in a culture where you can be a mean-spirited pastor, a mean-spirited spouse, a mean-spirited president courting evangelicals, a mean-spirited congregant, a mean-spirited customer at a restaurant, and not even notice because it's normal. And listen, it's not even normal. It sometimes is accepted, and not just accepted, but at times expected, and not just expected, but in some circles, rudeness, brashness, arrogance is celebrated. And I'm going to say to you, enough. That has to stop. Why? I'm listening to a podcast right now about churches rising and falling, and I heard this, quote, 
the brashness, the anger, the shouting, it wasn't just tolerated. It was advocated and celebrated. It was seen as a critical piece of the ministry's success. Listen, if a critical piece of a ministry's success is shouting and brashness and arrogance and anger, there's something wrong. That should be the canary in the coal mines. Mind? The canary in the coal mine, sorry. So the absence of kindness is intended by God to be a warning. That's why Jesus said, you'll know us by our fruits. And when we celebrate the absence of kindness, that's a huge alarm. So what I'd like to do in our moments together today is consider kindness from three perspectives. Why the fruit of kindness matters so much. What is the predecessor to kindness? It's seeing properly. And then what are the predecessors to seeing? So let's begin with this. Why does kindness matter so much as a fruit of the Spirit? And why in this moment in history is perhaps the most important thing for us to consider? and cultivate in our own lives. Well, Jesus said, Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16, by your fruit you'll know them. In other words, religious leaders of Jesus' day were so intent on knowing the law, keeping the law, that they even tithed their spices. But in spite of this zeal for truth, they missed the point badly enough that when God showed up, they resisted him and ultimately put him to death on a cross. And why? They were offended by his kindness, to be blunt. You don't heal on the Sabbath, but Jesus did. You don't touch lepers, but Jesus did. You don't hang out with, quote-unquote, sinners and tax collectors. Those are the socially marginalized people of the day. You fill in the blank for whatever you want today. It could be the unhoused. It could be people of a different color, a different race, different socioeconomic status, different worldview. You don't hang out with those people, but Jesus did. You don't embarrass religious leaders by exposing their sin in order to save a woman caught in adultery, but Jesus did. You don't talk to Samaritans, but Jesus did. You don't turn the other cheek. You don't walk the second mile. You don't love your enemies, but Jesus did. And so the Bible teachers of the day killed the Messiah because the unbridled kindness had no category And it was determined that he couldn't be the Messiah because he was too nice. (laughs) Rather than arguing about whether you light a fire on the Sabbath or carry something that weighs more than two figs, Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath. And it's offensive to the religious leaders. Were they zealous? Check. Did they pay attention to doctrinal purity? Check. Did they know their Bible? Check. Did they have a great deal of attention to religious ritual? Yes. Were they kind? Not at all. Like, lots of Bible, no smiles. Lots of doctrine, no eye contact. You know, lots of arguments, no tip for the waitress. What? How does that happen? Yeah, kindness is a big deal. And and, and Jesus says, this is how you know Their religious system is, can I put it mildly, rubbish. (laughs) Because if there's an absence of kindness, it does not come from God. So when a pastor is asked uh, uh, his opinion on a woman Bible teacher, and he says, I only have two words to say, go home. That's not kind. When there's like a unilateral 
statement of judgment on people because of their worldview, that's not kind. Your preemptive anger may or may not serve your cause or build your platform, but I'll tell you this, your preemptive anger does not represent Jesus ever, ever. And in the 21st century, social media makes this problem worse. It's always been there because lack of kindness is our default way of being in this world because our world is kind of built on protecting our ego. And so my ego is my view of the world, my political affiliation, my tribe, my party, my, my favorite doctrine. So in Jesus' day, there's a, for example, there's a debate about divorce. And, and so people go to Jesus, the religious scholars, and say, hey, you know, what, what about divorce? And is it okay to divorce for any reason at all, Matthew 19? And then, you know, Jesus' response, actually, I won't get into it today because it's not the point, but his response is kindness. Like, I, hey, God is patient with our hard hearts, so let's be patient with one another. But when our ego defines us, then those who don't agree with us are a threat to our identity. And then we lash out because we've got we to change them. They got to agree. And if they can't agree, then, then we have to uh, be dismissive of them. I've got good news. You don't have to live out from your ego. You are A, complete in Christ. B, blessed with every spiritual blessing. C, infinitely loved. D, called. E, gifted. It's all true. But if you don't believe that, all you have is your ego, which is your kind of, you know, your worldview and your tribe and your, your political opinions. And you get your affirmation from your views of the world and your tribe and your outward successes, but you don't need that stuff. Because no matter what anyone thinks of you, you're complete in Christ. And so then you can answer gently. And by the way, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer ends the argument. That's my paraphrase, but here's the literal. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh answer stirs up anger. <laughs> so yeah, kindness is a big deal. Because it's the heart of God. And God is saying, look, I'm kind to you, even when you're mean to me, even when you miss it entirely, you, your view of the world is wrong, you've got unconfessed sin, you've got blind spots, you've got greed, you've got cynicism, and you still have clean water and a sunrise and, and crops growing for now. <laughs> I'm kind. Not because you deserve it, because I'm kind. Now you go be that way with one another. So, okay, if I've convinced you that kindness is important, and I hope I have, then second, like, how can I become kind? The predecessor to kindness is as a view of the world differently, is seeing. So what do I mean by that? Well, I read a book recently entitled Field Notes from the Compassionate Life by Mark Barak, and he writes of having an appointment in New York City on September 12th, 2001, which ended up landing him in the thick of what had happened on 9-11. And so then he, he shares in his book a story told to him by a first responder. This is a crane operator who has kind of this lifelong, you know, gruff exterior, 
and and kind of presented himself to the world this way. Uh, if you're not like me, then I don't care about you. I don't want anything to do with you. If you don't, if you don't agree with me, dress like me, think like me, vote my, like me, I got nothing to do with you. That, that's how he lived his life. Do any of you know people, don't raise your hands, do any of you know people like that? Yeah, I mean, we all, we all know people whose world is pretty small, right? That's this guy. So he's a crane operator. He's been working, but to his credit, like he's working all night, picking stuff up, clearing debris, and literally removing body parts all through the night. This is night number one, the night of 9-11. And when his shift is over, he sinks to the curb, and his, cra- his head is cradled in his hands, and then these are his words. I'm sitting on the curb. That's when the kids appeared in their sneakers with their pink hair, their belly buttons exposed and pierced, bandanas tied around their faces, tattoos everywhere. They, they come with water and cold towels, and they took my boots off, massaged my feet, put dry socks on, and that's when I got up and started walking home, and I came to Houston Street, and there was a bunch more of these kids, all pierced, tattooed, multicolored hair. He said, I don't know where they came from. They're nothing like me. And they built a stage, and as I walked by, they, they were cheering. I never identified with these kind of people, ever. But when they started cheering for what I was doing, I started crying. <laughs> and I cried all the way home for four blocks. And I got home, and my wife said, are you okay? And immediately I put my armor back on. I'm fine. And she goes, I don't think so. Go look in the mirror. And that's when I saw my face blackened with ash. Two clean lines falling straight down from my eyes where the tears had been. Changed my life, his words. Changed my life. There's a nearby church near Ground Zero. It became a center of massage, counseling, meals, and prayer for the workers. It was um, populated by people from every faith, every sexual identity, every income, every education, every skin color. So what happened in, in that moment? I'll tell you what happened. We all saw together. We all saw. We saw humanity suffering together. We felt pain together. We asked together, how can we serve? How can we ease the pain? What's more, we even worshiped together. I mean, I went a year later to Mozart Requiem uh, at, uh, I don't know what it is now, but it was Safeco Field then. I went to Safeco Field where the Seattle Symphony and Chorus was putting on Mozart Requiem 9-11-2002. And I'll never forget, uh, up on the, up on the uh, scoreboard where normally you see, you know, Ichiro's stats and who's, who's pitching and all that stuff, is the translated words of the Latin Requiem. Lamb of God, have mercy on us, for we have sinned. Those are the words on the scoreboard. And they're singing, and the symphony's playing. Gerard Schwartz is conducting. And I'm looking around, I'm looking around at, I don't know, 30,000 people, not a dry eye anywhere in the room. The, the room? It's a, sta- it's a sports stadium. In fact, next to the translation, at the time, is a sign for the best damn sports show ever. 
It was a powerful moment. Why? Because when I look around, here's people in burkas. Here's people of, uh, with a different view of marriage, we'll just say, holding hands, weeping. Like something resonates with everyone. What is it? We want a better world. We want peace. We see the pain. We see the loss. And then just as quickly as we were united, we're divided again. And lots of reasons for that. But one of the big ones is this. We stop seeing with the eyes of Christ. Because the eyes of Christ knows this. Be kind to everyone you meet. Everyone's fighting a battle. Everyone. One of the joys of being a little bit smaller right now here is just hanging out and having a little coffee with people and talking with people. And of course, there's joys in all of our lives. But spend more than 10 minutes with anyone as a pastor, and I'll tell you, that quote is true. Everyone's fighting a battle. Could be aging parents. Could be uh, uh, your children. Could be an ethical issue. Could be a hidden addiction. Could be economic hardship. Could be uh, pain from work. Be kind to everyone you meet. Stephen Covey shares a story in his book. I think it's in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said, saw these kid, this kid misbehaving on the bus, and I was annoyed because the mom is there, and she's totally not paying attention to her kid, disengaged, and he's being super rude on the bus and disruptive and loud. And as the mom gets off, she says to him, hey, I want to apologize for my son. We're coming back from the mortuary. His dad died last night. And it was sudden, and none of us know. Like, you don't know. All you see is an annoying kid. Like, you don't know when you're driving. All you see is he cut me off. You don't know where they're going. You, you, all you see is a couple, and you don't agree with their orientation. You don't know their background. You don't know the attempted suicide. I do. <laughs> Be kind to everyone you meet. They're fighting a great battle. You don't have to agree, <laughs> but they're fighting a battle. And you are Jesus to them, or you're supposed to be. We got to see with the eyes of Christ. Listen, our world is changing. Climate is changing. Jobs are changing. Big new debates in the church. All kinds of reasons to divide. What you think of, of same-sex marriage? How do you teach history in school? What do you think of Walmart? What do you think of Amazon? What do you think of Amazon in the city? What do you think of Facebook? Not to mention who you voted for, what you think of Fauci or masks or vaccines. And where in the past we'd talk about these things over a drink, now we label the other, build the wall, and divide. And it has to stop. Why? Because in Romans 12, we're told, hey, don't be conformed to the world. Well, let me tell you, the world loves to build tribes that are antagonistic to one another that actually need each other. The left needs the right as an enemy because it's the hatred that unites. The right needs the left because it's the hatred that unites. But we have the mind of Christ. And if we have the mind of Christ, we don't think in ways that are tribal, divisive, and cruel. <laughs> we think in ways that are kind. Why? We have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We have eyes to see with compassion so that more than our opinions on a matter... We are fully entering into the suffering and heart of the other. The person of a different color, 
the Native American, the Republican who wants to protect life in the womb, the person who lives on the street. Every person is fighting a battle. Every person is desperately in need of the kindness of Christ, and you are Christ, so be kind. But the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, they were threatened by the kindness shown to the man healed on the Sabbath. They were threatened by his allowing the woman uh, to, be anoint, uh, to, to anoint Jesus' feet with perfume. They were threatened by it. They were threatened by his healing on the Sabbath. Uh, and the disciples uh, might not have been threatened as much, but they were confused. Why does Jesus go out of his way to go through Samaria and then sit alone at a well with a woman who, in addition to being a woman, is a Samaritan and has a reputation, who does this? They were confounded when, rather than sending the children away, Jesus invites the children to him, even plays with them. They were confounded when he healed the guy who had come to arrest him, confounded when, he, uh, when Jesus refused to rain fire down on those who didn't immediately believe. The Pharisees who knew their Bible, the disciples who wanted nothing more than to follow Jesus, both groups needed a different lens, a different way of seeing before kindness would become a reality. So let me just ask you a question this morning. Do you know your Bible? Good. <laughs> Do you want to follow Jesus? Good. You too and me, we need new ears and eyes so that we see what Jesus saw because when we see what Jesus saw, we will react with the heart of Christ. Jesus' kindness stems from the God lens through which he looked at the world. It's very important that we see it. Jesus doesn't engage the Roman soldier, for example, in a debate about empires and the use of force because the Roman soldier came and he said, hey, my servant is sick. So Jesus is like this. Whatever, your worldview, <laughs> you're the oppressing empire. No, you're a guy right now made in the image of God with a sick servant. Let me heal your servant for you. He doesn't engage with a woman caught in adultery with some kind of inquiry about whether or not it was consensual or what she was wearing. She needs advocacy. He, so he advocates. That's what kindness does. He doesn't engage with the guy who needs healing by the pool who's been there for over 30 years around why he's still there after decades. He needs healing. Jesus heals him. He doesn't engage Zacchaeus with some kind of precondition for having supper with him he knows that what Zacchaeus needs is a transformation that comes from having supper with Jesus. So Jesus, out of kindness, invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for supper. Later, Philip, the first evangelist in the Bible, Acts 8, doesn't engage the Ethiopian eunuch in a conversation regarding the color of his skin or his sexual ethics. All he knows is he needs Jesus, so he shows Jesus, plus nothing. That's kindness. What does Jesus see in people? Jesus sees the image of God, brokenness, and potential. And when we see with the eyes of Christ, it's transformative. So finally, uh, what are the, the predecessors of seeing? Okay, if I'm going to see properly, what posture do I need to see properly? Well, I need the eyes, ears, and body of Christ. That's what I need. What do I mean? Well, I need the eyes of Christ. In other words... Uh, when Christ sees the world, he sees the world as heading toward a trajectory where God reigns in the end. Every war is over. Every weapon is melted down in a tool of agriculture. Every disease is, is healed. There's no more 
There's no more COVID. There's no more nuclear weapons. There's, there's no more, you know, mass graves at schools. It's all, it's over. That's, that's swept away and God reigns. So if, when we see Christ as moving history in that direction, then we want to move with Christ in that direction. Christ sees uh, people as afraid and angry. And we may see people that way too. And when we do, we can respond with compassion. Uh, Christ seeks to make God's kindness visible. And so we too are, like Colossians 3.12 says it this way, put on kindness. Now imagine that. Put on kindness. What does it mean? It means, hey, when you leave here, look for ways to demonstrate kindness. You'll have, opportun- you'll have opportunities on the freeway, in a restaurant, in a grocery store, at home with your spouse, with, in, in, in social media, in conversations with people with whom you disagree. You'll have opportunities to put on kindness. It's something you do intentionally. I've had to learn this. My wife has a kind of a gift of, if you know spiritual gifts, there's a list, a laundry list of spiritual gifts, and one of those gifts is serving, and that's totally my wife. So serving often displays as kindness. Teaching does not display as kindness. Jeff Cuse knows this in the eighth row there, right, and Diane. Like, teaching displays as grades and, you know, but boy, service. That I mean, I remember being in line once for a, Wednesday night potluck here at Bethany Community Church. And my wife's in line with me, and Donna is not inclined toward theological discussions. I'll just say it that way. So uh, someone in line asks a question, and we get into this theological discussion. And Donna's, if you can picture, she's behind me in line. And so as I'm talking with this guy, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm so glad Donna's here. She's going to see how important these discussions are now. And then she's going to, you know, uh, go home and start reading Bart Roman commentaries and that kind of stuff. It's going to be, this is the transformative moment I've been waiting for for 20 years in marriage, right? So this is, here it is, you know? And so we have this conversation. I turn around and she's gone. And I'm like this, of course she's gone. Yeah, because she doesn't care about important stuff. And then I get up to the front of the line to get my potato, and she's serving. And without an ounce of guile, no malice intended, she just has a smile on her face, blessing every person with a potato. And she says, oh, you know, you started talking. And so I started looking around, and I saw they didn't have enough servers, so I went to help. That, I want to just tell you, that was a significant moment for me. It really was in a convicting way. Like how often, Richard, do you hide behind philosophy and theology as a way out of kindness? Like put on kindness because you see with the eyes of Christ. Put on kindness by having Christ's ears. Hear the cries of people. Even when the cry is anger directed at you. Don't be threatened by that. Instead, like Jesus, you can kind of preemptively forgive and go, what's behind this anger? What's the pain behind this anger? What's what's the pain behind this presentation of, of, of arrogance? By the way, hear the views of people. 
even if they might be different than yours. You don't have to respond in pride or anger, hurt feelings, but you, you need to listen. And finally, we need the body of Christ. Uh, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, which means we're available, which means we're willing to be inconvenienced because that's what kindness does. Kindness allows itself to be inconvenienced. Um, years ago, I was a pastor in Friday Harbor, San Juan Islands, and a young man started attending our church. And when he shared his testimony with me, it was very moving to me. I, I asked him how he came to Christ, and he said, you know, I was kind of a hippie living in San Fernando Valley, and I was like this, oh, San Fernando Valley. I lived in the San Fernando Valley, too, down in California when I went to seminary. And so we were sharing some stories. And he said, so I went to this particular church, and I knew the church, huge church, 4,000, 5,000 people. And uh, he said, I wasn't a believer, but I, but I was an addict, and I was looking for answers. So I came one Sunday, and I didn't know anything about how to behave in church. I didn't know that pastors of mega churches, you don't go up and talk to them afterwards. I just didn't know that. So I went up and I was going to talk to him, and there were like two people in front of me. And the one obviously had something important. He knew the pastor. The other one, he knew the pastor. It was, you know, business, church business. And here I am. I get up, and I start talking to the pastor. And then he says, someone comes, uh, a, a staff member, and he says, listen, we have a crisis. You guys, I, we need, and then he says, I'll never forget it. The pastor's looking at me. He stops, and he says to the staff member, can't you see I'm busy right now? He says, you take care of it. I have more important things to do. He said that moment, he knew he wanted to be like that guy. Someone who dignifies every person he meets. And that's how he came to Christ. Who would know that, like, just paying attention and making eye contact could change someone? Who would know? God knows. Because kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Colossians 3.12 Put on kindness in, in order that a world like characterized today by arrogance and backbiting and gossip and division and anger would find in this community and in your lives something remarkably refreshing, the character of God. Amen? Father, we would confess that the, every, every current moves us away from kindness presently. Every current, the news cycle, the social media feeds, the polarization of our culture, our politicians on both sides of the aisle, everything moves us away from kindness. And our desire, Father, is to turn to you and display your heart of kindness actively. Teach us to put on kindness this week, and we'll thank you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.